Well, back in Connecticut, where I spend many happy years, there is a strange and wondrous place called Stu Leonard's. Anybody ever heard of Stu Leonard's? The world's largest dairy store. It was started by a former milkman, and it's still operated by his descendants. Stu has everything you could want. An outdoor zoo, a costumed mascot, and a great big set of enthusiastic signs everywhere proclaiming the special of the day. And the formula that Stu has is that everything's on special every day. And the more you buy, the less it costs. So it could be $4 a pound for one pound, only $3 a pound for two. That's Stu. The food is very high quality, but the selection and the shelving are limited. You navigate your cart among pallets and puppet shows, things that keep kids entertained, and a lot of the infrastructure, the baking and the cooking and the, even the machine that fills up the milk cartons is visible to the customer. You have to see this to believe it. In Norwalk, Connecticut, and Danbury, if you go near there, go to Stu's. And one of my favorite things about Stu's is in the lobby, the entrance way, everyone pushes past it with their cart, past the parking lot, there's an enormous boulder. It's about the size of a smart car. And it says, carved into the stone, the philosophy of the store. The customer is always right. Rule one. Rule two, if the customer is ever wrong, reread rule one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, Stu Leonard was probably not the first person to think of this, but maybe he was. I don't know. His store's been open since, I guess, the 40s. But that boulder is very impressive, and it's effective. You get the feeling that they mean it there. And it's simple, clean, fun. It points us to the absurd persistence of our pride. Because rule one really contains all the information you need to do what the store says. If you work there, it says, always right. So what do you need rule two for? It doesn't say usually right or or mostly right, or the, the customer is to be considered right until proven otherwise. It says the customer's always right. And yet, and yet, any of you who've ever been in retail, or in service, or grown up in a family, or had parents, or had kids, or been married, know that the customer is occasionally, dare I say, frequently wrong. There's a wonderful observation they make in a, another setting where, where they say that it's important to remember when dealing with other people that all of us are to some extent emotionally disturbed, frequently wrong, and suffering the pains of growing up. All of us. Stu Leonard, the world's largest milkman, surely knew this when he etched his two rules in stone. And of course, in a family business, accuracy and expertise and accountability to your public are vital. So in the event of a disagreement, chances are the customer is probably the one who's wrong. It would have been actually clearer to carve when the customer is wrong, the customer reread rule one, when the customer is wrong, not if. But there's just no escape in the rule. You just have to turn back to it. Even though we want to escape, even though we're considering ourselves right to escape, we deserve the 
customers are always right. It reminds me of that old favorite Sunday school song, which was a favorite partially because it's slightly risque. Rockin' my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rockin' my soul. Mm -hmm. That was early gender equality, by the way, for our church. Abraham to have a bosom. But it also says, so high you can't get over it. So low you can't get under it. So wide you can't get around it. You gotta go through the door. Hey. That's like rule one. There's no escaping the rule. There's just the door. And we have to go through it. See where I'm going with this? Today we hear the story of Jesus. He's preparing for departure from the bosom of his family of friends. And he says, where I'm going, you can't follow. He is indeed headed by the most terrible route to the bosom of Abraham and of God's very self. And Jesus has done all the deeds he can do in the life he's been given. He's just about done. And he's ready for an end to it. So he gives one last capsule summary, a one-liner, ultra-simple wrap-up speech. It's the take-home lesson. And it's in the form of a tune. Everybody can hum as they spill out, watching those stunning events of his life and his life's end, and into the streets of history. Love as I have loved. Love each other as I have loved. It's a new commandment, he calls it. You notice he doesn't say it's a new recommendation or a new suggestion or a new admonition any more than, uh, say, it's recommended that the passengers of a sinking ship get into the lifeboat. Any more than it's suggested that if you jump out of an airplane, you got to open your parachute. Suggested. Or even any more than after you have your heart attack, when the doctor admonishes you to cut out the cigarettes and the pork cracklings, it's really not a suggestion. No. It's a commandment in the sense of do it. In Islam, there is a marvelous description of the book of deeds that constitutes a life. When anyone dies, their book is closed. They're done. Except three things. The righteous prayers of your children, they go into the book after you've died. After you've died. Whatever charitable works that you have begun and continue to thrive, institutions or acts that you've begun, as long as they are acting, those go into your brain. And finally, if you've taught someone, anyone, something or anything valuable, as long as those teachings are alive and being passed on, the entries in your book continue to grow. What an amazing lens through which to consider the life of Jesus of Nazareth. His book, his book keeps growing every day. Every time someone takes, takes this commandment seriously, love one another as I have loved you. When they have the thought, take my life and let it be consecrated, God, to thee, 
the book grows. That commandment is as unmistakable as the motto etched in stone at the world's largest dairy store. The customer is always right, even, especially, when the customer is wrong. Love each other as I have loved you, says Jesus. Notice it says, each other. Let's not kid ourselves that it means each other, like our buds, our homes, people agree with us. It means each other. Love them even, especially when they're annoying, disappointing, or undeserving each other. So when Peter, Peter goes out and he starts to take this act on the road, he immediately begins to encounter these difficult, annoying, and especially undeserving people. Joppa, what's that? Joppa, that doesn't sound like our people. We can't abide them. This is the response that Peter gets when he comes back to his friends and fellows. They say, what are you doing eating with them? They will not be a part of our way because they are not of us. No. You know, it's got to be a toss-up whether Jesus is looking from afar and either chuckling in bemused wonderment or tearing his hair out in frustration. I just told them the rule, and here they are doing the opposite. What's going on? What do I have to do? But the important thing to remember is that God's wisdom is as wide as God's mercy. And God knows. So when he sends Peter with a heart full of stories to tell, they are stories, we've been hearing them for several weeks now, of the absolute diversity of the faithful. The absolutely unquestionable authenticity of their faith experience. Peter's stories are as undefeatable as that wall around Abraham's bosom. They are as inescapable as Stu Leonard's rule. Peter spins a story, series of tales with exotic people and vivid dreams with animals in a big sheet coming down. And there are magnificent voices giving very clear instructions. Even his proud and fearful hometown crowd, they got to give in. They got to give in and say, let us praise God for giving repentance, even to the Gentiles. Repentance that leads to life to everybody. Now, it might be a good idea for us to consider the many, many ways you and I still resist this commandment, reserving our support, withholding our affection a little bit and our trust, carefully rationing out our love. And it might dismay us to admit that even, even in our Episcopal Church, where diversity and inclusiveness are central motifs, sometimes it looks as though what we're really saying is that we're really, really willing and eager to have anybody at all do it our way. But Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say that to me, and he didn't say that to his disciples. Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Lay down your life so that others may live. Be humbled so that others may flourish. 
be a conduit and a facilitator of others' spiritual discovery, not an arbiter and a sheriff of their religious behavior. Oh, but that's a tall order. Let us thank God. Let us thank God for the stories and the mysterious spirit that prove to us that it is possible, even as we are falling short. Let us give thanks for the Christ who has proven to us the reality, the certainty of love beyond our life, beyond our life.